0: Two, ready, one. Hello and welcome to Say That a podcast where your questions get real answers. My name is Matt King, I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Ben Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I'm back! The people don't know you were gone, but he was. You have to believe us. Joined also joined by the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer.
1: I've actually changed my name now to CoJED20. Okay. I'm trying to capitalize on the current news cycle and really, you know, boost my uh, profile.
0: Uh, I, it's not that you're, you split and that you are the co-jed in the way of a no. co-captain. No, 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 no. Okay. just one of you and you went 19 to 20. So yeah, that's right. Good.
1: That's right. I'm, it's one better.
0: Yeah. We, we are not joined by regular co-host Lee Younger. He is, uh, according to what he told me, he's had a long day with a lot of family in town. So one of his delight his wonderful uh, daughter is in a, a school production. And Uh there was a lot of time with that and had to do that that this evening. But can we be sure that he isn't infected? What? What? Because I feel the need to declare a pandemic emergency. Emergency! Can Can there be
2: a big enough emergency for a pandemic?
0: Well, we're going to find out. And let me just point out that if in the ensuing weeks and months since we record this in early March of 2020, this becomes an actual pandemic, we're sorry for all the things we're about to say that make fun of it. Sorry. Thank you. I'm, I'm trying to get pre-apologizing going. Yeah.
2: Sometimes you have to laugh to keep from
1: crying. Absolutely. You know
2: what I mean? Some yeah. kind
0: of news reel from 1916 where they're just making yellow fever jokes like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> but, of course, we have the, the coronavirus, the COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. It's it's raging through East East Asia. Uh, apparently, a ton of outbreaks in Italy. It's been found on these these fair shores. And uh, one, a lot of the things they say you do, you know, wash your hands. We you can do that. Don't touch your face. But then there's, you're supposed to avoid uh, highly congested areas, areas full of people. Now, the three, the, the three people we're listening to on this podcast do that naturally. So Absolutely. that's fine. Yeah. But uh, that does bring up the issue of what do you do about church?
2: Ooh, yeah. Because
0: well, there's a lot of people packed in there.
2: Well, and those people are known to carry germs. It's true. Like a lot of germs. Yeah. I've noticed that over the years. Yes. I mean, the children definitely carry germs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. So, you know, maybe you've always, I but I think we, one of the things we look to with the, the coronavirus is an opportunity in a couple of ways. One is which maybe you have an excuse now to act in ways you've already always wanted to. Maybe okay. when, uh, you know, the children run in from children's church and they all run up, you've always wanted to be able to say out loud, don't touch me. Yeah. And now you can do that. You'll say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, he's not an awful person who hates children. He's, he's worried Taking about the coronavirus.
2: Smart medical precautions.
0: Yeah. You, maybe you want to aer- get, you know, uh, aerosoled uh, hand Sanitizer and just be able to spray it at random children. Sure. You're like, what a what a health conscious gentleman right there.
2: Well, you know, too. Uh, so sometimes they have like things they want you to show up for that right. you don't want to show up for. Sure. Well, now you got a golden excuse.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Self quarantine.
2: Self quarantine. Yeah. You
0: know, Glenn, we're having our our uh, prayer fun run at four thirty Wednesday love, morning.
2: I'd love to be there, but I feel like it's. Prudent for me to. I wouldn't want to give you a deadly virus. That's just me being unselfish.
0: We're starting a new a new thing where we knit uh, scarves for people, which is cool. But you also do that during the fun run. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's at two thirty in the morning. Only after it's rained. Want to come?
2: Well, you know, I'd love to. Um, Unfortunately. I think I might give you all a horrible, horrible disease. Yes, oh, yes. So I, it I'm could be that selfless. it might be that I don't, but I could. But either way, I'll be watching that TV at the house. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, that's that's a self quarantining. Is what that is. Yeah, He's a hero.
1: He really is. Now,
0: there's
2: another idea we haven't thought of here. Tell me.
0: Like, I find most ideas we haven't thought of.
2: Now, some of us, uh, you know, you have a church you go to, you like, you feel good about. It. Some of us have a church, maybe it's in the neighborhood, maybe you've dealt with it previously, where you're not quite so fond of them. Sure. You know what I mean? They're on some funky stuff.
0: I'm worried Glenn is about to pitch biological warfare.
2: Well, not necessarily. Oh. But here's what it is. You call in, I assume there's some sort of hotline, some tip
1: hotline. Probably. Sure. You've
2: always got a hotline. Sure. When there's a crisis, there's a hotline. Yeah. I know this much. Yes. You say, look, I was at the service at the first uh, overcoming family faith community fellowship, family fellowship, random name generator name for a suburban church. Temple. And what happened was somebody in there had the sniffles, probably. They got the virus. Right. Yes. Here's what happens. They shut them all in. <laughs> now think about how happy that makes. you. They ain't getting out. And here's what it is. You got a basic Lord of the fly situation happening inside that church.
1: You certainly do. And that could be pretty. I'd watch that movie. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, you know, youth groups have been doing lock-ins for years. Mm-hmm. We're just giving them what they always wanted. That's right. Yeah. We just we just
2: see how things break down, and, you know, they, do they form tribes? Yeah. You know, how long does the coffee supply hold out, and the, yeah. they're yeah. breaking into the communion wafers and rationing yeah. them, and, you know, it, it, it could be pretty
0: interesting. Absolutely. Just, just sleeping in the church gym overnight, that's not a lock-in. That's yeah. a stay-in. Yeah. This is a lock-in.
2: Yeah, we are locking these people Truth in and advertising. And man, are we all going to be
1: happy. Well, you know, I um, one of the things I've been wondering about, right, is is the uh, our brethren in the megachurch world. You know, yeah, we, we know yeah. that they're they're image conscious uh, to yeah. the point that actually many of them are very fashion conscious. Like, yes. I think a lot of the churches like hire fashion consultants to advise yeah. what you know pastor wears. And whatnot. Sounds right. They've I know been, if you
0: sit in the first three rows, you'll be blinded by
1: their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them
2: have been busted for their wardrobe expense.
1: Well, here's what I'm saying is so. Um, what I'm wondering is how do they approach? Because inevitably they're going to need to preach at some point, either wearing a face mask or perhaps even a full bunny suit. For sure, I mean it's it's only a matter of time. So how do they keep the high production value and the and the high fashion value, even though they have on a full hazmat suit?
2: Well, you're you're talking about a Louis Vuitton Tyvex suit. There it is, right? Yes, you got the logos on yes. it and everything. Yes, and, you know you get the Britney Spears mic inside the suit. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs>
0: You're good <laughs> to go, man. This
2: is uh, it's all great.
0: Two things I know about Mega- the Mega Church loves. It's Gucci belts yeah. yeah, and very, like, almost incredulously expensive sneakers. Yeah. yeah, I think you can both of those on outside the Hazmat suit. I think they'll be fine. So you're saying Hazmat
1: suit, but then so we can all see it belt around the Hazmat yeah. suit on the exterior and the shoes Hazmat
0: suit booties in the sneakers. Okay, there it is. Well, okay. the move about that, which makes it even the more power move, is now you have an excuse why you have to buy a new pair of these sneakers every week. Yeah, you
1: got to go upsize. Cuz
0: well, no, they're all uh, they're all contaminated now. Oh yeah, oh, totally. I yeah. yeah, yeah. just got to burn them afterwards. Totally. Yeah, right. yeah. We got to yeah. put Pastor's weekly Gucci belt back in the budget. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think before we get to the full hazmat suit, which we're all wearing right now. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, that, and we ordered those before the coronavirus thing. We're just, yeah. you know, can't be too careful.
2: We literally recorded in an underground bunker. Well, so, that is you, you know, true. We, they're all laughing. They were laughing before. but Who's we're, laughing now? We're,
1: we're, we're laughing now. Oh, good. So That's, that, that's much more positive than <laughs> I thought that would be. That, would that was
0: originally the cut of the Joker. They just answered that one. <laughs> yeah. If he laughing now, we're laughing as the audience. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's Phoenix, normal man who's happy and well-adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't win an Oscar. Well, I think But before we get to that, we do have to deal with the, uh, the kind of the surgical mask. Kind yeah. of things going on. I was at an, an event in the city here uh, this weekend where they had the logo of the thing on surgical masks that they were selling.
1: Yeah. Ah. Which feels
0: like a new opportunity. which I think, you know, the first step before we get to the full hazmat suit will be the pastor preaching and all, you know, the, the people taking up the collection and whatnot will certainly have the surgical mask with the church logo on them.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You're talking about a catastrophe <laughs> Yes, we are. Those
0: Germans have a word for everything. <laughs> well, I think the other thing, now that we've come down to merchandising, is how do we, as the, say, that world headquarters, get some of that sweet, sweet money?
2: Well, I think, uh, uh, you know, I understand snake oil can be quite. It's very useful. curative. Well, there you go. So you put so it in
0: your tonics and whatnot.
2: You, yeah. you get your tonics, your herbal,
1: yeah. uh, whatnot.
0: Yeah. Drive from town to town, charging two bits of gander. Your essential snake oils. That's
1: where it's really.
2: That, good. Now you got it. Yeah. You Put a little dab behind your ear. That's right. Your yes. pressure
0: points, <laughs> your yes. pulse points. Did you just accidentally invent Pentecostal multi level marketing? Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, <laughs> oh, I did. Man, that's rough. This is lavender
1: it's soothing, but also paralyzing.
2: Well, look, it's not a pyramid scheme. Not at all. It's a trapezoid of power. Quite. And so you uh, just uh, you 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 start out selling, then you become a distributor. You see what I'm right. saying? Right. And
0: that's where the real money is.
2: That's where the real money
0: is. Do you have the faith for Copperhead Lilac? <laughs> Only one way to find out. <laughs>
2: that's right. Well, this is what we know is it couldn't hurt. Sure. So there you go. Absolutely. And will it fix it? No. 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 I don't think there is an actual cure for an actual virus that actually exists.
1: Mm, I don't like the sound of that. Well...
2: Put some snake oil on, you feel like uh, you feel like it's working, <laughs>
0: and that's something. I feel we've gotten dangerously close to the actual history of medicine, <laughs> which is it's probably not going to fix it. But I kind of want to see what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, you know that's that you could because like uh, you could put like other stuff in it and make you feel good. Sure, sure. sure. Like is that the, you know maybe you got the virus, but you don't mind it so much. Sure, absolutely, that's something.
0: I think it's good. I think, I think my final pitch, and this is, this is going to be a freebie because you don't have to have the right equipment for this, is we, we've talked in the past several times about how to communicate to your pastor that this sermon may not be going down as well as he'd hoped. Right. Oh. Yeah. So maybe if we all have the surgical mask, because we're all worried about not infecting each other and we want everyone to be healthy, maybe at some point you decide, I'm going to take this mask off. Just see if that communicates what I want it to. Yeah. Just yeah. kind of, I no longer fear death, Pastor. For <laughs> I've endured 35 minutes of this sermon.
2: Oh. Well, yeah, you could tell, like, are, are they prepared to just face death yeah. rather than hear the end of the sermon? And maybe
0: try to infect you. Yeah, maybe the just, closer they're sitting to the front.
2: You see them whisk off that mask and just spike it on the ground. You, yeah. You've you sent a message there.
0: I think that's great. I think the other thing we can pitch is kind of a full face welding mask. Sure. Mm-hmm. But, but so pastor can't see you're clearly sleeping. Or oh, that's or very good. But when he asked about it, he said, I, I just didn't want to take any risks with the coronavirus. So yeah. when he tries to point out that that's not how masks work, you just yell, look over there and run away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There you go.
0: And that's, if, if I can point anything to the listeners, it's if you get caught in a situation, you don't want to be in a church. Just point, look, just say, look over there and run away. Yeah. Most things people don't know. People gone to seminary, lose object permanence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and they turn around. They'll just think you were never there to begin with. Okay. That's uh prove me wrong. That's what I say about that. Wow. And with that, I think we did a, a public service there. I think we did well, more of a public service than several elected officials. I'm willing to call to win. We're the real heroes. And declare emergency off. Emergency off. You know what's not? An emergency of any kind. What's, it, what's Essential snake It's Essential snake oil is an emergency of every kind. Okay. I'm talking about Bridgebox, ah! which is non-toxic in any way that can be proven so far we jed keeps pitching can we send them snakes in the bridge box and i have to keep reminding him it's an email sure can't right, do it right he said but what about python i said that's not what python is that was a joke <laughs> for four people but i hope they enjoyed it can't send that through the email We're just gonna have to keep sending the sermons and the songs and all sorts of good stuff every month
1: i've got it please you can't dab it behind your ear but you can put it in your ears. Snake oil for your
0: ears. Yeah. Fridge box. Woo!
2: Until they invent snake mail. <laughs>
1: oh, very good. <laughs>
0: some of us are from appalachia they've invented snake mail i <laughs> guarantee you don't have to go too far back into the historical record and i mean like the 1970s to find i uh, put that snake in the mail because i don't like rick and he knows what he did yeah yeah but for now if you want to not the opposite of sending a, a deadly uh animal to an enemy would be doing something nice for yourself in your inbox because if your inbox is anything like mine it's a litany of just Horrors and spams and things yeah. you bought four years ago that you don't remember buying, but you can have a nice thing in there. The first of every month, Bridgebox, slash Bridgebox. All right, I'm going to jump in our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links there. First question comes in anonymously, and it says After a fairly long journey of living a single life, I'm excited to be engaged. What I have found interesting is that the same people who are excited for us are the same people that will tell us how hard marriage can be given that Matt is in a similar storyline. I'm not sure I feel about my actual life being referred to as a (laughs) storyline. Is this where the Truman show mask drops and it all happens? Hi, Ed Harris is here, folks. It's always (laughs) good to see Ed. Uh, I'm wondering if you can give your advice to newly engaged or married couples. In addition to quote, it's a lot of work and can be very difficult. Unquote. I wasn't, I just wasn't expecting that as the most common response to engagement. Anything you can share on a much lighter note. And I think this as someone who was recently engaged and married, I actually uh yeah. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. That the and then quick from like, we're engaged, oh congratulations. You know, it's not that easy.
2: <laughs> That's
0: right. I never said it was easy. Are you are you revealing things about your life to me at
2: this uh, point? You're getting horrible. Right? Yeah, so
0: going on that we can I think we can um, do a little bit of double duty on there's probably something to get into there about the pathology of these people. Yeah. But I think we can start off with we don't need to listen. To that necessarily, these are are almost certainly not people we ask for advice. These are people we informed a good thing has happened. and don't know how to deal with that. But if you're looking to get a little lighter, a little um, more useful marriage advice, and I think we can say something that's going to dovetail with, it takes work. Right. And you got to put work into it. That is true. But the tone doesn't necessarily need to be that dire, right?
2: Well, for sure. I, I you know, it's a big life Change and there's a lot of you know life is different on the other side of of that line, and you kind of can't fully describe that to somebody until they experience it for themselves. There's that, so you want to try and tell them it's a big change and whatever. It's hard to say that without sounding overly ominous
1: done done dun!
2: you're gonna you're never gonna be the same again, <laughs> <laughs> like well, you know won't it be nice though? you know that kind of so yeah um i you know reading this question and and thinking about it a bit, I think the the we use the word work there uh maybe in an overly generic kind of sense and it might be a little misleading and and maybe have a negative connotation to that when you when you think of work you might be thinking drudgery or uh, you know a, a, an unpleasant thing you're slogging through and that roll this boulder up the marriage hill yeah that's that is definitely not what work within a marriage should be so you know let's 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 use a different word, perhaps. Let's let's talk about building. Uh-huh. We're building a marriage. Now, obviously, building requires effort. But the focus is on how we're building it, not just brute force labor. In other words, if I'm going to build a house... I'm going to try and come up with a better design. You're not you're not just going to show up with tools and just do it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm definitely not. Here's some wood. Do
2: it. <laughs> yeah, it, I I will actually have like a blueprint and a plan that I would go by. You a know?
1: blueprint, of course. That's genius. Right. Why didn't
2: I think of that? <laughs> right. So yeah, I mean that that a lot of people you know they do have that attitude of you got to bro it real hard and put a lot of bro energy oh. into it uh that's not going to do anything you you have to have some form of plan and you have to adapt that and and change it as you go improve it as you go uh but as i as if you if you dig what i'm trying to say there the funny thing about that is if you build a really good design from the beginning it actually saves you lots of work later so the idea of just more work means better marriage is not 100% what we want to put out there we want to build it smart from the beginning in order to save a lot of wasted effort down the line so efficiency is a big part of that of of don't let's let's do things that give us a better marriage with less effort and move more efficiently so you know if, think about it like this if you have a hole in the roof of your house There are any number of different ways you can approach that. You can say, well, you know, let's call a professional who knows how to deal with that, and he can give us some advice. That's an option. You can say, well, you can, it's only going to be so much rain. It's only so much is going to leak through the hole. I think we can just put a pan underneath it and catch the rain. Problem solved. There may be rot and you know insects and problems and widening issues. Other but things. That's later. We don't have to deal with that now. You could say, well, let's you know look at a bunch of online videos and and put, apply a a patch and then put some silicone caulk around it and then and then we can check on it and see how it's doing or whatever. But the funny thing is is. The the better or more thought you put into the design, the more you learn, regardless of what the outcome is. If things go wrong, you say, okay, well, we know this isn't the right course. We learned how to use certain tools, so that's good. There's, there's a benefit to that. And now we need to, we know that we need to go back to the drawing board. So having that all hands on deck, everyone is engaged, we're using as much of our brains as possible. We're not just trying to feel our way through that. It's going to help. So I, I think what I want to land on there is this idea of of building efficiently from the beginning. And it, I think a useful exercise, as I uh, handed it off to Jed, is think of all the inefficient or or identify inefficient things that are happening in the marriage or the engagement now as you move into marriage. So that's here, here's a good example: defending a position when you know you're wrong. Yep, that's going to make this a five-hour argument. Yep, you're wrong. Just admit it. That it won't. You'll feel better. They'll feel better. We will save time.
0: I say Robert De Niro was in Star Wars, and I stand by that. Prove he wasn't.
2: <laughs> that's you know. It's just at some point you just you know let. It, in our marriage, we have the "You Are Right" song. If you're if, if if somebody just this is the hill I want to die on I'm going to make this point and it turns out you're wrong you have to sing the you are right song. If it's really severe you have to do the you are right song and dance.
1: Ah, that's a theater number.
2: It's a great tool to convince yourself don't go that far out on that limb, don't defend yourself when you know you're wrong. Go ahead and and, and you know what, what have you? Um uh, admit when you're wrong, look at Um. Uh, nitpicking. You know, if someone's ninety-five percent right, they're right. Don't pick. uh, Yeah, don't pick nits on the that last five percent because this argument's going to be five times longer. Those kind of things. Work on that efficiency to tighten things up.
0: I think it's, it's all very, very good stuff. And Jed, I think another thing we can look at that I can say is a very good piece of advice I got when I was getting married from actually both you guys, among other people who have very good marriages, is. There are things that we can think of as this is a marriage problem. Yeah. This is, you know, this, this is the problem of two people trying to figure out a life together. Then there's, this is an individual problem that is being expressed in the context of a marriage. Yep. Um, and the funny thing about that is those in a way can be the hardest ones to deal with. If you're not willing, because they're a little harder to fess up to, but they're also easier ones to be prepared for going in, right?
1: No, that's absolutely true. So let's give a couple of quick examples, because I think that's a really interesting and and important uh, distinction that you're making. So um, something that I think all of us would look at as definitely a marriage problem is how do you have a combined budget that two people have a say-so in and two people have an investment in that works for both of you? This is a fairly unique thing to being in a marriage that you'd be pretty unlikely to have outside of a marriage. Um, and yeah, I never I never just bummed into my normal room and said, Travis, how many candles do we need? Exactly right. You know, so, you know, figuring out how to do it. That's a skill. I mean, you know, if, if you want to think about it, it's, you know, it's along the lines of how do you set up the financials for a two person corporation? Um if you've never done that before this would be new to you. So th- that is that's a marriage thing that you've that you've got to figure out. Figuring out how to apologize to someone when you've wronged them that's not a marriage thing. That's just a growth in human maturity thing. Um you should be doing that in all of your relationships. Not not just the one that you're married to. You you should be doing that in all of your relationships. You should take responsibility when you're when you're wrong. But I think one of the things that we find a lot that I think is extremely common is that you know the, the thing about marriage which to be clear and, and i'm sorry people have been weird to you we're super stoked for you that you're engaged uh we, we wish Amen. you all the happiness in the world and we have no doubt you're going to do great uh marriage is worth uh the effort and the time to make something beautiful and wonderful and amazing and as we've already been hinting a lot of people who get on that weird but you know it's hard are actually just telling you about their marriage so you know let's set that aside but for a lot of folks, when they get married, what they what they realize is they kind of have a person that they can't fool all the time. Because for a lot of us, that's what we're doing in most of our relationships. You know, I mean, we're not giving people a, a very um, disclosive, a very vulnerable look at ourselves in the vast majority of our relationships. So. Uh, we, we're not really letting people in all that much. And when we get married, all of a sudden someone else is in there, kind of whether we want them to be or not. And so this can almost cause a bit of a crisis because I'm, I'm not sure I like the real me. All right. So here's the two things that I would suggest that you look at. You, You asked for things to be on a lighter note. Humility lightens up everything. I promise there's nothing. Amen. There's nothing that drags things down or makes things darker, faster than pride and arrogance and being full of yourself. That will ruin the mood, my friend. Yeah. Humility is what you want. Um, the ability to laugh at yourself is what you want. This is super, super important. And, and to that end, and this goes right along with what Glenn was saying, um, it's important for both of you to acknowledge, both to yourself and to each other, I am capable of being a jerk. I may go to church and be a goody-two-shoes, and I have all the churchy answers, and I know all the Bible things. doesn't matter. I'm capable of being a jerk. I'm capable of being a big, 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 big jerk that is a big jerk. Full stop. There are no exceptions to that. It applies to every person on this show, every person in a pulpit, every person you've ever met. The second thing that we need to acknowledge for ourselves and for the other person is I'm fully capable of being wrong. I'm capable of having super strong feelings about something and being dead factually wrong about it. I am fully, fully capable of that.
2: And, and maybe no one has pointed out the jerkiness and the wrongness quite so clearly before now.
1: Uh-huh. It's interesting how that works. So I think we need to begin with those acknowledgments, and then we can develop, I think, two practices. Again, goes right along with what going was saying that, that will make everything more efficient, and they're going to make... They're going to make for a more trust-based relationship, if you can dig it, which is really important. The first is, when you are wrong, say the words, I was wrong. It will not kill you. You will get better at it, and you will do it faster. There's no downside to admitting you were wrong, and there's a huge downside to refusing to admit you were wrong. Think about that for a second. You got two options. One of them has no downside. One has almost infinite downside. Go with the one with no downside. Admit when you were wrong. And the second thing that that goes right along with it is apologizing. When you've, you know, you could be wrong about something factual as opposed to something moral, but when you've hurt the other person, apologize. Take ownership of it. That that doesn't have to be the most dramatic thing in the world. You know, I, I told you I would take out the trash and I didn't and I am sorry. You should do that. That's good. That's really, really good. That's super important. And the other person should do it too. Both of you need to be invested in this process. And the thing about it, A, it's going to make everything more efficient. It's going to keep everything way, way lighter because drama doesn't have a chance to build. But the other thing that's really critical that it, it may take a while to really, really manifest. But if you grow to rely on the other person to admit when they were wrong and to apologize even for little things when they you know kind of screwed something up, that's going to build a lot of trust in this relationship. Um, a lot in a way that I'm not sure there are other ways to do it. And a good marriage is one where there's a lot of mutual trust. Um, that that's what you want. That's, that's the good stuff. And and that vulnerability and taking responsibility in my experience is how you get there.
0: It's all fantastic stuff from both these guys. Excellent advice. Um, and being that I've been married for six months, I will not proffer uh marriage advice because nobody likes that guy. But I have very recently been uh, through the experience of getting a lot of weird tones and talks about marriage to the point where I uh, actually, with my now wife and fiance, we really kind of trying to figure out this exact same thing you're talking about. We came up with a few hypotheses that I think will, will help you maybe understand what's going on and not, not take it so personally. One is, people have a weird need to be profound. Yeah. We see this all the time in ministry, Yeah, especially if it's something they do. So that if someone who is married, particularly in a church context, particularly if it's a male type person, may feel the need to say the, we would talk about, we talk about a physical stance where they square their hips, put their hands on them <laughs> and prepare themselves for the weight of the wisdom they're about to lay on. Here. Yeah. So yeah, it's not 50, 50, it's a hundred, a hundred, you know, so a lot of uh, yeah. Thanks, Jerry. Let's all move on here. But so there's that which people come by it honestly. I think there's also a thing of people don't uh, uh, people don't feel like they sometimes that's people you don't know very well. Sometimes people who you know well, we've been a long time, have this weird thing where they like don't want you, they will. I've heard had people say to somebody I don't want to like only give you the good side of it so you don't see what's going on, which is a bit strange. But I think you can wrap your mind around that if you know someone doesn't want that. That's a caring thing, and then the last one is start just in your mind, developing a profile of who leans on this the most. And my guess is two things. One is people have been married a long time, which so you can see how they've had a lot of ups and downs that they are now kind of in a constructed memory way, experiencing all at once. Um the the hardest things they've done in their life were with this person. And probably the top, if they've been together for 20 years, probably the top 50 hardest things they have ever done in their life. Involved this person, so that makes hmm. sense. The other one is, did they get married young? <laughs> Hello. Just with the things we talked about about kind of not really being fully developed and maybe had to learn things about uh, how to apologize and how to communicate and how to be a person. You both if you got married when you were both twenty, yeah, you didn't have think- any of those skills. There's no way the first several years of those marriage, that marriage wasn't going to be super rough. Yeah. That doesn't actually apply to you if you're, you talk about kind of being on a longer journey. If you've had some personal development of doing these things, you can understand that. So again, that doesn't solve it, but there's a certain, I don't think it's entirely Christian satisfaction. We hear this thing and go, I think I know what this is. So I give you the gift of that little bit. We move on to our second question here. It also comes in an anonymously that says, Hello there. I know you guys have dealt with depression in the past, but does it still come up now and then? Where you'll have a particularly bad day week where you just can't stand the person you are. And a a fantastic question. We appreciate the follow-up nature of it as we always do. We certainly appreciate the honesty of it. And Jed, I I really like a lot of what's going on in this question, that idea of I think on kind of in online stuff, um more motivational even stuff. There's this idea of you can push past this problem, which is super true. We can all get to a point of, um, where be a depression or anxiety or whatever the, the issue is, doesn't dominate our thinking in a day to day, uh, point like it may have we're in a really low point but that's different than it just kind of being banished forever right i feel like that doesn't get talked about enough
1: no that's that's a really really good point a quick disclaimer up front that's that's important it's a disclaimer that also comes with a plug which is the best kind Mm. so first disclaimer part um not a therapist what not a doctor all right I'm outraged. I, I would be, too. I mention that because... Dep- Why are you wearing the white coat, then? Well, it's just a fashion statement. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mention that because, uh, and uh, this is often missed online, depression is a diagnosis. It's, it's a clinical and medical diagnosis... Mm-hmm. Um, worth
0: hearing unless you're we're interviewing a medical professional you will never receive medical advice on this podcast
1: exactly right to that point um a friend of the show and a um a licensed uh, uh phd psychologist dr Sunitha chandy was on our rock show the bridge loud um we'll give you the episode number here in a little bit uh but if you if you'd like expert advice uh, from a person who does that for a living uh you can check that out uh, she's Gave us just killer advice. It's great stuff. So the following is from personal experience. So I, I I hope that it's useful to you. It's it's certainly a great question. I think for a lot of people, and again depression is a very sweeping term that covers a lot of stuff that varies very greatly for a lot of different people but but in general I think that if you if you have a givenness to depression and, and you're wondering is that true for for us it's certainly true for me um, the idea of it just being banished forever is probably not very likely uh, there, there may be people for whom that's true it, it has not been true for me um, and I, I doubt that it's true for most people. And so I think the the first thing that, that we do want to look at is the idea of um, I've been delivered and I will never even be tempted to feel depressed ever again is probably not a good or realistic goal. That's That's probably not how this is likely to work for you. But what we can do, and I think this is really important, is we can get better at anticipating when we're entering a season where we feel more drawn to depression and figuring out when we're in that period, how to deal with it more effectively. You know, so sometimes it's easier to look at, at physical examples. Um, it's pretty easy for me to tweak my hamstring. Um, I, I do a fair amount of, of sports kind of stuff these days. And, and it just, the way my physiology works pretty easy for me to do that. Um, I've gotten better at learning what's likely to do that. Um, and I've gotten better at learning when I tweak it how to rehab it more effectively. And these are great bits of knowledge to have. These are these are really good things. I would prefer to live in a world where there was something that just made my hamstring never have problems ever again. But given that we don't quite live in that world, knowing how to not exacerbate it to begin with and how to rehab it more effectively is really useful. It's really good. I think, at least in my experience, there are parallels in dealing with depression. I I think that you can get better at spotting it coming. Um, and how to head it off at the pass a bit. And when you wake up and depression says, hey, it's been a while, how you doing? I think you can, you can learn skills and coping mechanisms and a therapist is a great place to learn them uh, about how to be more effective in the way that you, that you deal with that. One, and we were talking about this before we started recording the show that I definitely pass on to you that I, I think is really, really good stuff that is not a common thing among Christians is the idea of letting a thought just pass you by. We all get thoughts in our heads that are complete nonsense. Uh, One of these days, we'll have to bring in a a neuroscientist to explain to us why that is exactly. But bottom line, we all get thoughts that don't mean anything. Uh, They don't imply anything. They're just nonsense. There's just nothing to them. And Christians have all read the idea of taking thought, every thought captive to Christ. And so for a lot of people what that ends up meaning is, I want to argue with every thought in my head. I want to grab it. And I want to wrestle it to the ground and I want to give it what for. And that's not always the best idea. One of the, the strongest things that we can learn that certainly helped me a lot and perhaps help you is learning when to let thoughts just pass you by like clouds in the sky uh, and just and just move on to, to note that a thought has occurred and we're not giving it any more attention than that. That's not the same as denying that we had a thought. That's not the same as trying to force ourselves not to have a specific thought. It's just that was a thought and it's passed me by. Um, that's something that's helpful to me maybe it's helpful to you the important thing is there are skills that you can learn to help when that depression tries to rear its head to be able to deal with it a little bit more effectively and a little bit more quickly
0: that three-headed gargoyle had my second grade teacher's voice but why was it giving me an apple pie recipe
1: why indeed yeah,
0: i don't think it's worth uh digging into much of that and all great stuff from jed and he mentions that bridge loud episode that is the bridge loud 231 the podcast episode, which uh, posted on August thirty first, twenty eighteen, It'll be at the bottom of your feed, or you can always check out the dot dot com if you want to just be able to click to it on that. So, Glenn, uh, Jay gave us a lot of great stuff there. What would you add to it?
2: Well, I, I agree a hundred percent. Particularly what he was saying there at the end, we we have a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in our head that is sort of masquerades as a thought, but is really almost just Emotion, you know, or just uh, an emotional thing that sort of takes the shape of a pattern of thought. Uh, But emotions are elusive and slippery anyway. So that that process of trying to grab them and solve them kind of doesn't quite work. You can you can if you have a pattern of thinking that you can you can you know figure out or what have you, but emotions will change about the time that you figure them out so being able to let those emotions as Joe was saying just you know they're there they're happening you can see it you're not denying it you're not ignoring it you're just letting it go uh letting that just pass over you or and and move on to somebody else um but I uh, first of all we're rooting for you. We yeah. think uh, we think we think you're amazing. We actually deeply seriously truly honestly love the people who listen to this podcast. We've met a ton of people that that listen. We've we are genuinely no kidding fond of all those people. Totally. Uh we love that you get us. Uh we feel like we get you and uh we want, we're rooting for you. We're in your corner. Uh, here's the thing about depression, you ask if if we struggle with it, and you know what the interesting thing is, I think is when you look at something like depression, it has a way of going in a cycle, right? And I think any cycle thinking, you think addiction works in a cycle kind of way, if you think of bad, most bad habits have a, sort of a cyclical nature to it. So one thought leads to this thought, which leads to that thought, and it just goes around in a circle. The thing about those cycles is they're sort of always morphing, so it's very slippery, so for me, I can feel negatively towards myself I might not, you know again depression is a broad brush that that as Joe was pointing out i i'm but I could say it's it's a negative self image I could say it's an i'm down on myself or whatever, but I can easily morph into hating the rest of the world off of I'm not myself. the jerk they are yeah and and I don't see any contradiction in that in those I say I'm terrible and everyone else is worse <laughs> which is that now we're getting pretty low here yeah. you know and that just it, and you know it just cycles in on itself and it goes around so all of that morphing and shifting about makes it really tough to deal with because you're sort of solving a different problem every time that you're looking at it. So what I think we want to do then is look at where are the roots of all of that stuff. Given that it might manifest itself in a, in a number of different ways, that can be hard if you were just chasing symptoms. So we want to look at root causes. For me, any kind of a depressive thought all this always has its roots in a, a, a self, an anger directed at yourself. You know, depression is anger towards, turned inwards towards yourself. So, uh, being angry with myself and uh, connected to being angry with myself or and at myself, you know, directing it to me is a, a shaming mm. element. So, guilt is when you feel about bad about something you've done. Shaming is when you feel bad about who you are mm. in your essence. Now those two go together, of course. You you do something bad and then you say, I am that bad thing. So, you know, the guilt and shame work together. But for me, that depressive mind seems to always involve that self-shaming where you're just heaping that you are not worthy, you are not you you are not going to succeed you're not going to have friends so there's a future element to that uh you you you're, you're taking all this and heaping it all that negativity onto yourself i'm not going to solve that problem by chasing down all those symptoms i'm not going to say let me turn that frown upside down i'm not you know what have you i need to be able to connect to something bigger than myself in order to solve this this issue. The problem with depression, and and we've said it before, but pain alienates us and isolates us. And it, depression really does that. You just don't feel like being around people. You just don't feel like you can function in in a group. But the problem is we as Christians struggle to figure out who we are when we're in that kind of isolation and what our, what our worth is and what our value is. So we're all members of one body. As the Bible says, we all need each other and and we all fit together that's good and it's useful but it's it, if i say i'm a foot what good is a foot well it isn't any good just on its own it's it's good when it's connected to a leg and a knee and a, you follow what i'm saying it's it, it, you know so i can get very down on myself And isolate myself, and because I'm isolating myself, I'm down on myself, and I don't have that sense of where. How does it all fit together? So I think finding really healthy, supportive community where people are giving you feedback on who you are and what you are, what you have to contribute—that's a big part of turning that around.
0: I I totally agree. That's really fantastic stuff. I I would go back to Jed's kind of physical injury analogy, which I think has, has a lot of parallels here, and one is. Uh, there's, I think with depression is, I think it's probably true. with anxiety as well. There's an, I, there's a temptation to feel what it flares up of that you've regressed mm, or backslid yeah. Yeah, in yeah. some way on the progress you made, which is not inherently necessarily true. Um, I, I played uh, high school football because I'm from Tennessee and that's the law. I was not large <laughs> enough to do it. I was not particularly good at it. Uh, it also left me with a totally wrecked, uh, shoulder. Um, and some days it just hurts. Doesn't mean I screwed it up. Doesn't mean I, you know, did something wrong. It probably doesn't mean I went out and slammed my shoulder into a sixty-pound sandbag, which is what hurt it in the first place. If, you know, for four straight years, it just means it's a little tender and it tweaked. And as Jed was saying, you got to lay off it. You got to give it some rest. You gotta, you do have to tend to it. But this is a new issue. This is yeah. not a return to a previous thing. But in the same way, a physical thing. Let's say you torn your ACL. If you tweak your knee, even if it's not a torn ACL, you might be a little jerky about oh gosh is that the same thing which totally makes sense but um it's a weird thing but as you get more experienced at having kind of ridden the cycle of these things ridden the ups and downs of and kind of the move past and the and the pullback on it you will hopefully get a sense if you kind of actively pursue the thing these guys are talking about of the the mm, that's trying to come back yep. we're not gonna let it yep. it's not a full version but just um there's the comedian pat and oswalt t- had some great bits talking about kind of Personifying and third personing his depression of my depression's trying to trying to make a comeback here and trying to tell me this, and it's I mean, it, we appreciate his effort, sure
1: absolutely, and
0: I would do the same thing in his shoes, but we just i can't do it this time and the, the things like that you will, you will develop your kind of own language around that and coping mechanism of it, and you one of the best things you can do if you're having a your first couple of rounds of that is not give in to the panic of this is going to be a full regression to the lowest point when i was dealing with this thing this is this is a, little, a flare up and you we want to deal with it but we want to deal with it in the context of that uh understanding move on to our final question here it comes in an honest that says i started going to a church and i like it but how do i do it right i mean i show up on a can but is there more to it than that how do i take it to the next level and glenn where we kick off with this
2: well, I think the when we're talking about church life, church interaction, uh, the first obligation you have is to meet your needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is giving you a calling and a purpose, and in order to fulfill that purpose, your spiritual needs must be met. So you are a vessel where you must be filled up so that you can then pour yourself out to others if the church you're currently attending is not doing that, you're not in the right place. You need to go to a place where that can happen. As we've mentioned frequently on this show, it's actually tough to find a church that can meet every spiritual need that you've got. So maybe they're great, uh, they have a great Bible study, and the sermons are great, but I really need sort of a cell group where I can have some accountability, some interaction, some community, some fellowship, that kind of stuff. And that's great. And if that that fellowship group is part of the church, that's great. If it's outside Not. the church, that's fine too. It doesn't matter. You, you see, you, we're going to uh, sometimes have to mix and match, and there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean that's a bad church. It just means you have to make sure that your needs are met. Uh, I think the problem we get into is when we say, the church is everything. The church is supreme, and we must make sure the church is happy, and we must do it, have a loyalty to the church. It's not important for you to have loyalty to church. It's important that you have loyalty to Jesus Christ. That's what being a Christian is all about. That's your obligation. Now, he can and should uh, say, here is a body of believers. I want you to be in community with them, and I want you to contribute, and I want you to be consistent and, and committed, and I want you to be just like we we're talking about before—you know, the hands and feet—and you know, function as part of that body and, and fulfill a role within it. So that part is important. So finding something that you you have to contribute and contributing it, even if it's just setting up chairs or being an encouragement or working with the kids, any of that kind of stuff. But I think it's also super important. I I can't think of a more uh, uh clear way of saying this, but it's important to not be a church centric Christian. I think for a lot of Christians, church is the center of their spiritual lives. That's not that's not it. Yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, let's think of let's do a little uh, mental experiment here. Imagine you had to be a Christian, but you could never go to church. Just, and that's been true for a lot of Christians, for a lot of, you know, facing persecution, whatever. You could meet with other believers uh, You could uh, in a home or in a you know, community center or whatever have you. Church could break out of that experience, but you wouldn't be able to go to a place called a church and do church culture things. And church with hundreds
1: stuff. or thousands of other Christians there. Yeah,
2: just just uh, just a body of people, and that there was no steeple, there's no organ, there's no stained glass, there's no choir robes. If I stripped all of that away, could you function as a Christian? The answer to that question is almost certainly yes. Here's the answer behind that that would surprise you. You might be better off yeah. in that. Now, why do I say that? I say that because most of the church that I experience is behind bars. There's no, there's no stained glass. There's no choir robes. There's no pipe uh, organ. Any of that.
1: And a big gathering is twenty people. That's a big gathering.
2: That's right. Yeah, you're. It's a, it's a very intimate setting with people with, with real struggles, a ton of authenticity, and just raw. We're getting in this and rolling up our sleeves and going to work on, uh, digging out of where we're at here and that kind of stuff. So it's very intense. It's very passionate. But I assure you, that's more church than most churches I've ever sat in before. There's there's just a level of of intensity and and passion behind that. Uh, I I and I'm energized by being around that. And we we do music and we do all the stuff you know that, that, that happens here. But I think we have that sense of church first of all doing stuff for us that it actually can't and won't do. But it's also this idea that that it should begin and end with that Sunday morning service. I think that's, that's the mistake. If we looked at the Sunday morning service as the icing on top, then we'd have a whole different view, uh, for most people, on their, their Christianity. I think the final point on that is if you're going to fit into any kind of community, you have to be patient. I say this as a guy who works with a lot of pastors. Most of them have no earthly idea. And, I, and let me just say this, and I'm not making excuses for them at all. If you had any idea the absolute nonsense some of these pastors have been taught, it would just shock you. It's crazy. I mean, and it's not out there. People don't know really what sort of curriculum is covered in, in, in seminaries, and pastors don't know what's wrong with it, so they don't know to put it out there to other people and tell other people, here's what I was taught, and so that's what I'm going by. So we have to be patient with pastors who are trying to figure that out and they're human just like you are. They don't they're they're working that out. There's also people in your your church is filled with imperfect people just like you, and they're struggling, they're having their problems. So it's important for us to be patient with that, but it's also important to know where that line needs to be drawn. Where now we're now we're in a situation where pastor isn't protecting me from the crazy people. Uh the I, I'm in a situation where These people are a drain on my spirituality, not a benefit to it. We have to know where those boundary lines are uh, so that we're patient all the way up to that point. And once we know that we're past that point, we know it's time to make a change.
0: That's all really, really good stuff, an excellent place to start. And Jed, if we were going to give people one kind of practical thing they could look for um, as they look, if I like the idea of this person talking about taking their church, attending to the next level, what would that be?
1: So uh, that's a good question. We're going to start with a Bible verse because that's how you know it's good. Oh yeah,
0: there, there, I hope it's about smiting.
1: <laughs> there, there's a Bible verse. that comes from the book of Hebrews. It's ch- uh, chapter ten, verse twenty-five, and and this is the verse that gets quoted every time people have questions about attending church or not. Uh, and it says, "Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing." So um, takeaway is you you got to go to church. That's not exactly what that verse is saying. Yes, it Uh, is.
2: (laughs) <laughs> must go to church that's 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 the actual exact thing it says right
1: no no oh, I mean uh-huh. it, it says you you should regularly get together with other Christians. that's mm. not exactly the same thing, but it turns out if we um read the context like the whole verse, it says a lot of other things that are very noteworthy I don't oh. like where this is going <laughs> yes <laughs> in fact, it says that the point of the getting together is that you can help and encourage others. That's, that's why we're doing this getting together piece is that so you can help and you can encourage. And of course, it has to be noted that this only works if you are also receiving help and encouragement at the same time. This has to be a reciprocal thing or, or the, whole, the whole thing breaks down. But actually, if this is a topic you're wondering about, I really want to encourage you, uh, both on Bible Hub and on Bible Gateway, go read Hebrews 10.25 and kind of read the couple verses around it, but read it in like eight different translations. Just it's each of them give a little bit different shading. It's really interesting. It's really worth taking a look at. And I think the the thing to to note is that for for a lot of us, we have been sold on something fairly mystical when it comes to the idea of church, that these are religious rites um, that you must participate in um that's just how it is and and church is the place that we come to participate in them and you are a on some level a deficient christian if you don't um that's not what this passage in hebrews is saying what it's saying is other people in your family of faith need help and encouragement that god intends for you to give them you have to go to them in order for that to occur And at the exact same time, you need help and encouragement that other people in your family of faith are meant to give to you. Um, Yes, there there is a a fundamentally mystical thing going on. For Jesus said, whenever two or three gather you in my name, behold, there I am amongst you. So there, there is a mystical element, but it's not what we often think it is. You know, this is about... Gathering to help and gathering to encourage, gathering to cheer one another on, gathering to build one another up, with the belief that the Lord Himself will be there amongst us. Uh, you know, when when we do that. But the acid test, therefore, is is anybody getting helped? Is anybody getting encouraged? Uh, go back exactly to where Glenn started us. You have spiritual needs. Are you getting helped? Are you getting encouraged? If you're not... Now, if it's week one and you're not getting help and encouraged, we may need to be patient. If it's week 100 and we're not getting help and encouraged... Any day now. It's definitely time to move on. But you, just as much as you need help and encouragement, you also have a spiritual need to help and encourage others. Is this church letting you do that? Do you have an opportunity here to be a help to others? Do you have an opportunity here to be an encouragement to other people? Some churches are really good at that. Some churches are really not. Um, But that's kind of the... Big point is the help and encouragement, the giving and receiving thereof, so we can be looking at is that going on here? Is this going on for me? Um, you know, different strokes for different folks, different churches work better or worse for different people, but for you, is this church creating an environment where you are receiving help and encouragement, or were you able to give it out to others in turn
0: that's a very, very good point. one thing I would add on to what both of these guys are talking about is um as glenn says we we see a lot of this from both ends, and one is from the pastoral end is. Uh, they don't know who's fired up and who's not. Yeah. Like um, you say, uh, well, you know, I started coming and I come every week. A lot of people come every week and some people come every week are the ones with the worst attitudes. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, uh, to counter a Bible verse with a Bible verse that's used out of context in a lot of ways, you have not because you ask not. Uh-huh. Um, if you want to get more involved, you want to find some ways to do the service stuff. That's one of those things you probably have to be a little bit active about that. not, Super active, you know that may be asking if there's anybody they need help in the kids' church, or do they have something they do or they like to plug people into? But a little bit of that of kind of active participation is going to go a long, long way. And it's also a pretty good litmus test, because of, as Jed is saying there, if you if you go up to uh, it doesn't have to be the pastor, be deacon, a member of staff, a church or something, say like, I I like it here and I'm fired up and I want to do more. And they say, I don't have, really have anything for that. We're used to kind of deficient Christians, as Jed put it, which will be coming out soon. The, the cover will just be me in a bathrobe as <laughs> 10, And I haven't left the house yet deficient Christian. Um, so if that's kind of the vibe they're going for, then, you know, and you can move on to the next thing and that's, that's good to know. But as where are Glenn starts off, you're going to have to do, uh, if you want your spiritual needs to be met, you need to ma- be active in that process, The church. will be there to guide you. Um, as we point out, you know, and hope a really good church will not be shy about guiding you to something outside the church to say, oh, I really want to help you know, feed people. So we actually don't do that. But there is a thing that the Methodists do on Wednesdays. And let me give you the guy's card. And if, if you're if you're confident in what you're doing, um, a good church will want to see you fed and know that you getting fed is good for them. And that's something that they should want as well if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. dot If you want to keep that anonymous Um, we uh, are recording this uh, about a week after it happened, but we are, our thoughts are definitely with our friends in Nashville and central Tennessee who have recently been tornadoed, which I believe is the meteorologically correct term. That's correct. Mm. Yes. Um, So still putting it out there. So we, we do a lot of uh, work with a lot of fine, talented folks in Nashville. We will take you out with a countrified version of the hymn, uh, the everlasting arms. Yeah. That thanks for listening. Just remember. We love you. God bless you. There's nothing you do about it.
2: Say that podcast hoping to infect you with a virus of happiness and not other kinds.